0: Do you read stories to your children? Do you read Bible stories to them? Sally Lloyd Jones has a caution for you.
1: Whenever we read a story and then we say, well, what that story is about, whatever we put on the other side of about, that becomes the only thing the story is about. And the minute we do that, it's terrible. It's the worst thing you could ever say. I'm passionate about that because what that does is basically you've decided what that story is about. You've decided what God might want to say to that child. But what if God wants to say something completely different?
0: This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey. I'm Bob Lepine. There is great power in telling good stories. We'll hear from a great storyteller today, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Friday edition. We're having a delightful time this week with a delightful friend. And before we introduce her again, uh, we're in the final weeks of the year, and this is a pretty important, pretty strategic time for us as a ministry. It is,
2: and I'll tell you something that delights me. I love hearing from listeners. I heard recently from a single mom who said our broadcast gives her hope every day to keep on keeping on. Here's one from somebody who struggled through the heartbreak of a divorce and a broken family. She said, it helped me grow in Christ immensely. And then one other, our marriage was falling apart. I started listening daily to Family Life Today. The information I received gave me the strength to fight for my marriage. We have a lot of folks, Bob, who are finding help and hope for their marriage and family. But in order for us to do that, We need listeners to step up and say, I want to stand with you guys. As you guys proclaim the biblical blueprints for a marriage and a family, you're ministering to marriages and families and leaving legacies all across the nation and around the globe. Would you stand with us right now?
0: It's easy to make a year-end contribution. You can do it online at FamilyLifeToday.com or you can call to donate at 1-800-FL-TODAY. And there's a matching gift opportunity that's in effect. So when you give, your donation is going to be doubled. The impact of your giving will be doubled. You'll help us reach more people in 2018. And that's our goal, is to to reach more people with practical biblical help and hope. Again, you can donate online at familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Now, back to our conversation with our guest. Sally Lloyd-Jones. We've been talking about the holidays. We've been talking about family and fun and about food. And in fact, you don't think there can be good Christmas food in Great Britain, when you were over there, you thought all the food was horrible,
2: right? I was trying to find a way across the English Channel <laughs> have you to get watched, to France. Have you watched
0: The Great British Bake Off? Have you watched that show? I have not, Bob. Have you watched it? Yes. Bob, I'm,
2: Everyone's I'm, obsessed.
0: I know. It's amazing. Isn't Bob, yeah. I'm
2: concerned about you. I, I, you're watching The British Bake Off. The Great British Bake
0: Off is a great yeah. reality show. Barbara, you would love The Great British Bake Off. Okay. So make Dennis
2: watch. No, no she wouldn't. You know, <laughs> she, she does would. not like to cook. <laughs>
3: no, but I, I enjoy watching other people That's cook. That's exactly
2: what the point. That's, yeah. That's well, really right. I do me. want to welcome Sally Lloyd Jones back to the broadcast. Welcome back. Thank we're, you, so We're thrilled much to, have to have you. Have she me. was born and raised in Africa, schooled in England, lives in New York City, but will celebrate Christmas back in England.
3: Eating figgy pudding, we found out. <laughs> Eating figgy.
2: figgy pudding. That's right. <laughs> and uh, she is a great author. She's written a number of best selling books, including The Jesus Storybook Bible, Song of the Stars, and one we're going to talk about today called Found, which is uh, the 23rd Psalm. And then a book about a child's identity and his voice in this this world they're living in. How many books have you written?
1: Over 25. I had to count them up the other day. Yeah, wow. that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And
2: it's a mix of books
0: that are Bible story books, but mm-hmm. there are also books that are just general children's books. Yes, right? yeah. So why both?
1: Well, I don't actually distinguish between them. I feel like everything I do, I'm reaching every child. Is my That's my passion. And I think of it as feeding God's creatures. You know, he feeds his creatures and he uses us in his work. For me, my calling is to children. So I could be writing a story about, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, or I could be writing a potty training book. (laughs) But in my mind, I've come to see that God is just as pleased with Psalm 23 as he is with a potty training book. (laughs) And the reason being, for a toddler, probably the most traumatic thing is learning how to go potty. And when, when parents sort of look at me mystified and think, how could that be compared to the Jesus Storybook Bible, my book, Skip to the Loo, My Darling, a potty book, I say, well, when you ask a toddler to go potty for the first time, it's probably like asking an adult, saying to an adult, why don't you just now go and speak to 2,000 people and give them a speech? How would you feel? You'd feel dreadful and you'd have terrible performance anxiety. You might break out in a cold sweat. Well, I I think that's akin to how a toddler feels when we tell them they have to do this. So in the toddler's world, potty training is probably the most traumatic thing they've experienced.
2: Some and I just got to tell you, thank you for. Performance, for, for, anxiety. For, for, I'm just performance <laughs> anxiety. I was thinking performance anxiety related to I'm, I'm going to go back to my six kids and I'm going uh, to apologize <laughs> for this. Your whole journey started out writing books for children. Yes. When you were a little girl and you read a book that opened your mind and your heart to a whole new world with books.
1: Yes. When I was about seven, I thought books were to learn to be serious, to do with school. And I wasn't a child that really thrived at school. I was a bit dreamy. And I was given this book called The Complete Nonsense by Edward Lear. Now, in England, a lot of people know that book, but they may not in America. He's not quite so well known here. But I advise everyone to get that book. And I'm not getting anything. It sounds like I'm getting referrals, (laughs) but I'm not. I'm just passionate about it. And the reason I am is that it changed everything. I, I got this book and it was the first book I ever read all the way through. I was seven. I opened up the book and there were these insane in a good way crazy limericks about people with long noses and great long beards and birds that nested in the beards and you know and then he did all the drawings in pen himself and they were completely like just zany mm. and i it was a revelation i had no idea you could have so much fun inside a book and it changed everything from then on i wrote limericks and illustrated them and inflicted them on my <laughs> poor friends and family <laughs> But the reason I tell that story is that they often say whatever you were doing when you were maybe six, five or six or seven, before you became self-conscious and you became what you thought everyone wanted you to be, whatever you love doing at that point often clues you into what should be in your life, whether it's your job or a hobby. And for me, it's been proven so true. I was loving this book that was so much fun. And having fun inside books. And now, all these years later, it took me a long time and a long journey and very twisty. But here I am, all these years later, basically having fun inside books and hoping that I can get children to have fun inside books.
2: Mm. Inviting them to the party.
1: Yes, exactly. And realizing laughter, that's such a gift that God's given us.
0: You had an experience where you were telling a Bible story Mm -hmm. to a group of children, and it changed your thinking yeah. about how to tell stories, didn't Yeah.
1: It? I like to tell this story on myself because I don't ever want anyone to ever think I think of myself as an expert. I'm learning every time I read to children. So this particular time, I had been invited to a Sunday school and I was reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It was probably like about six years ago. And I'm very good at getting children out of control. I think that's part of my job, <laughs> getting them laughing. And But I'm not so good at getting them under control. So The Sunday school teacher had wandered away. So I read this whole story, Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. And the story is all about Daniel and how he was obedient, even though he might be punished and killed. And that one day God was going to send another hero who would, again, be willing to do whatever God told him, no matter what it cost him. So that's how the story ends. While I'm reading this story, there's this young girl. She's probably about six. She's kneeling up. And as I'm telling the story, she's so engaged that she's almost trying to get into my lap. She's so engaged. Mm -hmm. At the end of the story, I panicked because there was no teacher and I thought, I have to say something. So I went, so children, and I was horrified to hear this come out of my mouth. I said, so children, what can we learn about how God wants us to behave? And as I said those words, the little girl, she physically slumped, her head bowed and she slumped. And I have never forgotten it because I think that's a picture of what happens to a child when we make a story into a sermon. And because I said that question at the end of that story, I basically made that story all about her instead of pointing to Jesus. Mm. And the minute we do that, we leave the child in despair because we don't need to be told to do it better. If we could do it better, Jesus never needed to have come. Mm. And the story of Daniel is there not to tell us what we should be doing. It's to tell us, look, this is what God is going to do. God is going to bring someone who is not going to be saved at the last minute, who's going to actually die to rescue us? And that's the most incredible story. So I learned from that and I have never forgotten it because whenever we read a story and then we say, well, what that story is about, whatever we put on the other side of about is basically what we leave the child with. That becomes the only thing the story is about.
0: So to say the moral of the story is? It's
1: the worst thing you could ever say. I'm passionate about that. It's terrible.
0: But don't you want kids to get.
1: You do, but what that does is basically, you've decided what that story is about. You've decided what God might want to say to that child. Mm. But what if God wants to say something completely different? It puts too much power in our hands, and it would be much better to leave the story, because I believe a story is a seed. It grows when it's left alone. It may take years for us to see the fruit of it. We may not see it growing, but that's what a seed does. It grows in the dark. Mm. And it's almost, I think, none of our business. If we read a good story to a child, it's between the child and the Holy Spirit what happens with that seed. So it's not that we shouldn't ask questions, it's just I think we need to be careful not to reduce the story down into a moral lesson because there's, there's a place for moral lessons, but stories are so much more powerful because they can transform your heart. And a lesson doesn't usually, like a moral lesson, often leaves you feeling like the little girl. She felt in despair because it suddenly was like, God isn't pleased with you because you're not as brave as Daniel. Hmm. That's what I used to think as a child. So people often say, well, if you can't ask, what's the moral of the story? What question can you ask? Because sometimes you need a question. So I always say, what about if you, with the child, like it's you're on the same level with the child, as if you're kneeling together before our Heavenly Father, because we are all children before Him. What if you read the story together, coming together, not as you as the, the teacher, but you and the child as children of God, You listen to the story, and then you go, wow, and you wonder aloud, and you say something like, say with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, instead of saying, well, children, what can we learn about sharing our lunch? You say, the boy gave Jesus everything he had. I wonder, what would happen if we gave Jesus everything we have? And you leave it open. Suddenly, that becomes completely open, and the child's imagination can soar with that. And... So that's, that's the question I think that's a good thing to ask. But it's, it's not trying to teach a lesson.
0: And, and part of what you do in that question is you put the focus on, on what God can do yes. rather than what we're supposed oh, to man. do. Amen.
1: Because then there's hope. Mm-hmm. And we need to give children hope, don't we? I mean, they obviously need guidance and there's a place for teaching and rules. I just think the story time is sacrosanct and that we should come together before our Heavenly Father and wonder together.
0: So when you approach writing a story like Baby Wren and the Great Gift, which is not overtly a Christian story, no no Bible verses in it, do you approach that differently than when you're writing something for the Jesus Storybook Bible?
1: The helpful thing about the Jesus Storybook Bible is the plot's already worked out. (laughs) The story's already there, yeah. So with Baby Wren, I try and be someone on whom nothing is lost. I think Henry James said that, or I may have got that wrong, but be someone who, on whom nothing is lost. So I'm always open. And that book, what I've learned with books is an idea will come from anywhere. But when it comes and it it hits me in a poignant way or it makes me laugh or does something with my heart, I've learned to listen because I realize, okay, I think that's God working to show me there's something here that I need to follow I don't always know what the story is, but with Baby Wren and the Great Gift, the thing that struck me was I was in Texas at Laity Lodge Mm -hmm. and there's this little wren called a Canyon Wren. And literally one time I was just hearing this huge song and I said, what on earth is that? And they said, oh, that's the Canyon Wren. You never see it. It's too tiny to notice. And yet look at its great song. And that idea started playing in my head and I started thinking, that's like a child. A child's only small. And they have so many insecurities. And where do they belong in the big world? And that's where that book came from. That wasn't really me setting out with a message. It was me responding to a clue I was given and then following clues. And that's how I think the books come. And I trust the Lord with that because if you know, joy and redemption are at the center of my life, they're going to be in my books. I won't be able to help it. So I, in a way that frees me to trust the Lord that my passion is to bless children with the truth and with hope. And that can come in the form of pre-evangelistic. It can be like Emily Dickinson said, tell all of the truth, but tell it slant. Hmm. And the thing about a story is you're not coming at it head on, like you are with the Jesus Storybook Bible, but even there, it's a story. Every time you tell a story, what happens is it captures your heart. It doesn't come at you with rules and lessons. It comes round the side and it captures your heart. So, I just basically trust that if something moves me, that's something I need to listen to.
2: I wondered when I read uh, Baby Wren and the Great Gift if it had been written at Laity Lodge because you dedicated the book to that lodge and the people there. And I wondered if the Canyon Wren lived there. Yes. I'd never heard of uh, a Canyon Wren before, but it was a great lesson. And uh, I think you're exhorting us as adults as we tell stories to kids— Let's leave room for imagination. Yes, that's
1: really well put.
2: Not try to conclude it. You need to know I'm somebody who likes closure. Yes. <laughs> I, but wait, I think
1: we all do, don't we? Oh, we're we, more mm-hmm. secure with that. We do. We, we do. prefer bullet points and summaries. and you know, But I think God doesn't. I think he loves imagination. And mm. look at what he made. He, he made fish we're never even going to see. So many zillions of kinds of fish.
2: Comment, if you would, on your children's book called Found. You said that's an edible book,
0: right?
1: Yes, it's it's the Jesus Storybook Bible, the edible version. <laughs> Basically, it's a padded board book, and a board book is one of those books that toddlers can not rip. Chew on. They can chew on and not destroy. Oh, okay. Yeah, because when you're a baby, you don't read books, you eat them.
2: So you're going all the way through the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> yes. And just unpacking it. Verse by verse.
1: It's the same version as in the Jesus Storybook Bible. We we re-illustrated it. We have given it like 12 spreads, I think. If you put individually one line on a page and then you illustrate it, you give space to the whole psalm. And Jago has done the most incredible job of what we talk about in picture books, you have to have heart. You have to have it in the text and you have to have it in the art. And that's an indefinable thing, but you know when you haven't got it and you know when you get it.
2: Well, you got it because here's the, I guess, almost halfway through the book. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, there's a lonely lamb Mm -hmm. in a valley with a rainstorm.
3: that's my favorite spread.
2: It is mine too.
3: Because that little lamb, it's just so representative of not just children, but all of us. And he looks so alone. And I think that just captures what we all feel that the 23rd Psalm speaks to.
1: And you know what's interesting? It's it's children's favorite spread as well. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. They will always go there, no matter how tiny they Mm -hmm. are. And I think that's fascinating because, again, we try and, you know, it's appropriate to protect children but we have to always be sure that we're equipping them as well. Mm -hmm. And little ones know that not everything is right out there. Whether or not we're telling them, they know. So the more that you give them a safe place, so that's why I think they love that spread because they're looking at something scary, which they know exists, but they're doing it with you. They're doing it with a lamb and together you're going to get through this story. And it's very important that we let them Look at the dark, not just the light. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in an age-appropriate way, but I think that's why it's powerful to them. Yeah. yeah,
2: and then the next page, of course, it says, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am.
1: He's and he's here. panned out, hasn't he? He's panned yeah. out, Yeah. and you see that he wasn't alone. The shepherd was running. And the the look on the shepherd's face, again, heart, uh-huh. it's just so right. it's poignant to me. When I saw the illustrations, I was just blown mm-hmm. away.
0: And the thing about having these illustrations, as a parent reading through these books, I'm thinking back to when I was reading books like this to my kids. I would tend to focus on the words, Mm -hmm. tell the story, and kind of move it along. But when we go slow through a book like this and spend a minute or two with a page open Mm -hmm. and ask questions about the illustration, we're really driving that story deeper into the
2: heart of the child at that
0: point, aren't
1: we? And in fact, that's a really great point. You can read A book like that without the words. Right. When it's well illustrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So, Sally, I want to ask you for a book that you've never written, a book that has never been illustrated. But it's a story that is a book in your mind that you love to tell children. Well, you're looking for a scoop here? Are you Are
0: trying to yeah, get— Yeah,
1: I mean, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's trying to—like, he has got a notebook. I can see it. <laughs> and a recorder.
3: <laughs> I've yeah. already got the publisher
2: lined up, Tyler. No, I just have to believe you have a few tucked away that you've never put on parchment. And it's just a favorite of yours. And— I'd be interested if you would mind telling it oh, okay. to our audience here. I've gone completely blank. Have you?
1: Yeah, performance anxiety, you see. <laughs> 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 I need to skip to the loo at once. <laughs> but maybe I'll think about it. Okay. Yeah. We can come back at the end of the broadcast and
0: you can tell the okay. story. Okay. Barbara, as you look at books and their illustrations, you recognize the power that comes. I mean, Sally's prose is beautiful prose. But let's be honest, the book found... Hmm. is what maybe 40 words maybe 50 words and well-chosen words the illustrations are what give the words a context and a texture that bring it alive
3: i always looked for books for my kids that had beautiful illustrations to me that was as important as the story because i loved the illustrations as much as my kids did Mm -hmm. but it allowed the story to come alive at a level that the words couldn't do on their own no. because the illustrations support it. They give it life. They make it three-dimensional. And as you said, with that center spread of the rainstorm, it takes you to that place that the words alone can't yeah, do. And true. I just think illustrations are, are powerful oh, in I books. love hearing that. I, yeah. And I
1: feel the same way. And I also think design, you know, mm-hmm, like the cover. Mm-hmm. Design is one of those skills that it, when it's working beautifully, it's invisible. But... When a book is really well designed, the effect is you take you like, oh, and you linger on the page. If it's badly designed, mm-hmm. the opposite. You take a deep breath, you brace yourself, and you, it's mm-hmm. hard work. Even how the type looks, so much goes into a picture book. And what you said is so true because a picture book is a story told in two languages, mm-hmm. word and image. And the best picture books are when, as a publisher of mine said, one plus one equals more than two. Neither of them would work without each other. Mm -hmm. And also what you want is that it should look as if the person who illustrated it wrote it and the person who wrote it illustrated Mm -hmm. it. They should have the same voice. Well, they both have a message too. Mm -hmm. And the words alone don't say
3: what the pictures alone say. And they work together so that the whole thing is a much greater package as you were explaining. And it's a gift. So when you get a book like that you feel like it's a treasure and yes. so your anticipation is greater it's when true. you when you get beautiful. a beautiful book yeah. than you
1: just get a book. Another thing I'm passionate about is beauty. Honors God. When we do Absolutely. something beautiful and I also think it reaches everyone. Beauty mm-hmm. calls to everyone. So our job is to be as excellent as we can be because beauty honors him and it also it just takes away the obstacles. So Mm -hmm. like I was describing with the design, if it's really well designed, there's no obstacle to the story. And I think my job is always to get out of the way and let the story through. And if you're a good designer, get out of the way and let the Uh story through. And if you're an illustrator.
0: At what age do kids move beyond you?
1: Never. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Um, I collect picture books and I never grow out of them. Hmm. They're an art form that, well, C.S. Lewis said it, didn't he, when he, he dedicated... Did. I was just thinking yeah, about this. you probably mm-hmm. remember it better, but I can't remember exactly the words. But, I don't remember exactly how he said it either. Yeah. But, but he I, dedicated it to his to Lucy and he said, you're too old for fairy tales, but you'll grow up and become young enough or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well,
3: and he also said something about a book that's good for children is good for adults. Yeah. And if it's good enough for them, then it, should, it yeah. should speak to all ages. Like there's
1: no book that's only for children, is right. what he said. Only right. good for children, because if it's not good enough for children, it's not something. We're really yeah. massacring this quote, aren't we? <laughs> but that is, the, be that is the idea, yeah. and I've always loved that quote.
0: Have you ever had a desire to write young adult fiction or to to branch out, to write a novel?
1: Well, sometimes I think about that, but then I think I'm already reaching adults in the best way yes. by reaching mm-hmm. children. And I just love, you know, children are the best audience. You kind of get spoiled because they'll go with you. Mm-hmm. If you if you tell a good story, they'll go with you anywhere, whereas adults are a bit more tricksy, well, it seems and I would, to me. And
3: I would say that by writing this kind of book for children, you're reaching the parents. which yeah. So you are reaching adults yeah. because it's
1: it, they go together. Moms yeah. and dads
3: are going to read the books and the book will speak to the parents yeah, as well as the I love kids.
1: That. And I love the idea that they, you know, like found... Or Baby Wren or Song of the Stars. They're books designed to read together. Mm -hmm. And the sound of the language. And C.S. Lewis again Mm -hmm. said you should write for the ear as well as the eye. And
0: most of the books on my bookshelf have been read once. If yes. they've been read at all.
1: Isn't that the truth there again, you see?
0: But children's books, children's books get read. I mean, we can almost recite Goodnight Moon, can't we?
1: Oh, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a genius book, and it's so deceptively simple, isn't yeah, it? It yeah. is. Mm-hmm. So I've,
2: I've stalled
0: here oh, for dear. you. Oh,
1: dear. Yeah, and I still haven't got that story. Well, yeah, no. I, I think the thing is my stories, I may have them, but they're sort of, again, a bit like seeds. I never quite know what they are. I have to keep following them. So I have lots in process. But not. I don't know that I, if I've got one ready to tell, I usually do it. So you have lots of ideas, but yes. they haven't been They're more developed like, yet. Yes. Like picture books, I could have an idea that can sort of, I was going to say vegetate. That's not the right word. Germinate. Is it? Germinate. <laughs> <laughs> vegetate doesn't sound nice. Uh, germinate. Thank you. For several years. And I find that's the best way because, again, mm-hmm. following clues. I follow clues. So sometimes I'm working on a middle grade novel, but I... You know, sometimes you don't actually want to talk about the book until it's done because if you talk about it, you kind of have told the story and you take away the energy you need to finish it. So that's a good excuse, isn't it?
2: (laughs) It really is. You can't <laughs>
1: say anything it works. So, <laughs> no, it works.
2: I just hope you'll you'll come back.
1: I'd love to come back. And, and it's always so fun.
2: You just need to know Bob's a foodie. So the next time you come back, bring bread, well, crumbs and f- figgy, figgy, pudding. Pudding. figgy, figgy, figgy pudding. pudding.
1: Well, I might send you a figgy pudding.
2: I
0: might <laughs> look now, for it. He yeah. looks like
1: it's a threat. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, might, I might send it to you, and you might have to eat it on air.
0: I will, I will uh, eat your figgy pudding. <laughs> if you
1: send it, we will
3: have to taste it for sure okay. after all I'll, of that.
0: And then I'll let you know whether to send me any more okay. after that.
2: <laughs> and,
1: yeah, that's
2: right. And I will, if, if I eat it and I like it, mm-hmm. I will repent of all my, not all, but some of my comments about English food.
1: I think you're just really jealous of England, really, aren't oh, you? Oh, I, I do love England. No, I we know. Do love I England. do. No. We had a delightful time. And you're time. right. English food is not, you don't really see English food restaurants, although you do in, in uh, New York. Fish and chips, toad in the hole. Now I'm really confusing No, you. no, I know what they
2: are.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and By the way, we have none of that in our Family Life Today Resource Center, but we do have some of Sally's books. Toad in the hole? We, we got some n- of that, don't w- we? It's not in the Family Life Today Resource Center. You can go online at familylifetoday.com to uh, find out more about the books that Sally has written for children, uh, the Christmas Story Song of the Stars, the 23rd Psalm book called Found, and, of course, the Jesus Storybook Bible, We've got all of those available online at familylifetoday.com or you can call to order at 1-800-FL-TODAY. We've also got the resources Barbara Rainey has worked on for the holiday season for families, including her new set of Christmas tree ornaments that reflect the eternal names of Jesus. Find out more about those when you go to familylifetoday.com or call if you have any questions, 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Now, as Dennis mentioned earlier, this is a significant time of year for this ministry, and we're hoping to hear from listeners to take advantage of a matching gift opportunity that has been made available to us. Our friend Michelle Hill, who is the host of Family Life This Week, is keeping us up to date this month on all that's going on with the matching gift. Hi, Michelle.
3: Hey, Bob. Yes, what has happened is pretty simple and very generous. Some friends of Family Life offered to match every donation we receive in December. So yesterday, when Leona from Pennsylvania called, our friends matched Leona's gift, dollar for dollar. Simple. Your gifts are being matched all December, up to a total of $2 million. And Bob... As of today, our listeners have given just over $306,000, which is really encouraging.
0: It is indeed. You can donate online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to donate, or you can mail your donation to Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. And we hope you have a great weekend. Hope you and your family are able to worship together in your local church this weekend. And I hope you can join us back on Monday. John Stone Street will be here to talk about how we can raise children in a culture that does not always support what we believe. Hope you can be with us as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock,
2: Arkansas. A crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.